Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by Senior Business Reporter Rachel Sapin and John Evans Correspondent. Hello, you two. Let's get right down to it. It was a week that was dominated largely by one story, and that was Brazilian meat giants move into salmon farming via the proposed acquisition of Huon Aquaculture in Tasmania. Now, we reported this last week, the offer, but things got really interesting. Um, as we did a little more reporting on it, we profiled JBS and got to know that company better and gave a, 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 an overview to our readers about it and got a better sense of just how big and how powerful this company is. It's going to be industry changing. We talked to an analyst who said, um, this is a pretty standard play that JBS makes. They buy into a sector and then they essentially dominate it. Uh, and we'll talk a moment about how they're gonna, uh, how they're gonna focus on, on costs. But things got really interesting, um, as I said, um, with the uh, announcement of the second largest shareholder in Huon, a Australian mining magnate named Andrew, quote unquote, Twiggy, I guess that's his nickname, Forrest. And Andrew Forrest uh, owns uh, an agribusiness company called Tatarang. And he announced last week, just after the JBS bid, that he would be acquiring a larger stake in Huon. And essentially, it was this very interesting, I guess what we could call sustainability power play. Um, and I think it's a really interesting, uh, interesting look at how activist investors might be shaping things in the future. Essentially, Ford said, look, Jay, I bought more because I didn't invest in Huon just because I wanted to make money. Um, I invested in them because I want to make salmon farming more sustainable. So that meant he, he believes fish meal should be taken completely out of uh, salmon feed. And uh, he wanted to see improvements in salmon welfare. And um, it was just a, a fascinating uh, or shaping up to be a fascinating fight, I should say. Um, JBS has countered as of Friday, uh, saying, well, you know what? Our initial offer was on the table. If we got 75% acceptance, uh, and now if we get 50.1% acceptance, we will, uh, we will purchase it, which pretty much, uh, means that they will own, um, or have control rather of Huon because Francis and Peter Bender Largest shareholders and founders uh, have already agreed to that offer. Anyway, it was fascinating uh, to track all week long. It's certainly not over with. We're learning a lot, and I think the industry has a lot to um, maybe not be concerned about. Although the exception to that might be on the fish feed side. John, uh, you set in on the quarterly earnings conference call, and I think the funniest thing about it was you said that salmon farming or the Huon acquisition was just kind of one of many acquisitions and just sort of a, a almost a throwaway comment of, oh, yeah, yeah, we bought the salmon farmer. I mean, first off, give us a sense of the size of JBS and then tell us what they said, hinted at when it comes to uh, salmon farming feed costs. 
Yeah, well, the $50 billion company, which has sort of become stronger over the years with moves into chicken and pork and beef and uh, lamb, uh, even. Um, I mean, when you when you listen to their results, they take a long time to read the results because they've got so many divisions. Um, so uh, and, and they went through them all in, in, in detail. And as, as you mentioned, in the last month, the company swooped to buy the uh, UK frozen and chill foods business of Ireland, Kerry Consumer Fruit Foods, through its Pilgrims Pride division, and also moved to buy Australia's second largest pork producer and uh, 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 Rivalea, and completed the acquisition of um, Europe's third largest plant-based supplier, Vivera. So as you say, a lot going on there all the time. Um, one of the things that came out when, when they did mention Juan Aquaculture during the, uh, the the English part of the call, because they had two calls, they had one in Portuguese and later one in English with English-speaking analysts. Um, they were asked about Juan, um, but mainly they said, they sort of reiter reiterated what they'd said earlier, that they wanted to make a splash in the same way that they've done in, in pork and chicken, build a strong position, that is. And also that they would be looking to um, make use of their bulk buying power to uh, make efficiency savings when it comes to uh, feed. Do you think, do you think their, their, their bulk buying leverage power with the uh, world's biggest feed producers uh, will help them with that? And remembering that feed is far and away the highest percentage of, of uh, salmon production costs uh, and about 70% of uh, overall costs. Um, so yes, that's um, that's where they are. I mean, as I say, they've built up their their power over the years. Built, uh, formed in the 1950s, and they've just got stronger and stronger and stronger. You might say they've got a, their, you know, their 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 sales and earnings power are, are, are the same as some small countries. Yeah, well, I, that's a, a good way of describing it. We we have a a, a timeline that we put put together just of the of JBS's growth, and. You know, JBS is not a name most of us know, most of us have heard of. That is not a, a brand they really use much in their subsidiaries. But when you start rattling off the brands uh, that they actually own, um, it just kind of becomes uh, shocking when you see just how big their portfolio is. You look at the past like decade in particular, and it is just amazing what's happened. It's like one to two acquisitions every single year. The cash flow that they had in their most recent results, John, that you reported on was stunning. Um, so this is not going to be a single play. This is going to be the first of many acquisitions. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, for example, I mean, I don't know how many tons of salmon are currently uh, or fish at the moment. They're swift uh, distribution arm uh, cells, which is like a freezer center kind of uh, uh, store, freezer store um, kind of, uh, uh, yeah, in Brazil. Um, but you would think if, they, if they're going to do that on a, on a bigger scale, the, 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 I think it's 3,000 tons a year from, um, from Juan is not going to be enough. So you would think that they would be moving into other kinds of uh, other other, you know, salmon acquisitions and, and with tilapia growing at such a rapid pace that it is, 15% um, a year here in Brazil, tilapia production that is, and, and, and one estimate I got recently that it'll expand 40% this year, you would think they would 
move into a, a domestic tilapia production um, uh, production uh, acquisition, particularly if you look at um, companies like Sea uh, Valley, who are also pro uh, protein producers, and Co Copper Coal, Copper Gel here in in Brazil, who've done who've done similar things. So yeah, I, I, it'd be interesting to see if they follow that model as well. Yeah, that seems like a pretty easy play for them to make, one would think. Um, because especially with the feed not being so dependent on, or not dependent at all, on fish meal and oil uh, for tilapia. Um, so I could definitely see that happening, and it's certainly easy to buy something that's right there on your doorstep. Um, but, you know, so many of the world's largest salmon farmers are publicly listed. Um, so making a similar move, a similar very aggressive move, uh, into another major salmon farmer would be very, very simple for them. They absolutely have the money. Um, they offered, I believe it was more than 30% of a premium on the share price of Huon. So, I mean, they, they made it very, very difficult for shareholders to turn it down. Um, and and I, I think we're going to see and, and hear a lot more from JBS and probably sooner rather than later once they get their feet underneath them. You know, Hewen's a, 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 as you said, John, a small, a small, small company. Um, so maybe it's just a matter of them kind of developing an understanding of the sector. But certainly, you know, Hewen's not really the platform company that you build on. But it's a first start. They bought into it because Hewen had has had a tough time and poor results, so they could get it on the cheap. Um, but it is going to be really interesting to watch, and it's always fun to see a, a you know a, a new entrant into the sector it always kind of shakes things up a bit as you mentioned drew um huan is not that big and also it's not exactly on um jbs's doorstep so uh and what is on 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 jbs's doorstep well it's not norway norwegian companies so would they think then of the in the future of moving to neighbor into neighboring Chile and possibly swooping for a company there yeah uh, that's a really good point yeah that that would be a, a pretty simple play right because um, I don't know the percentage right in front of me John and maybe you do maybe you don't but a, a huge percentage I don't want to say huge but a significant percentage of Chilean salmon production has been going into Brazil, and that has increased um, typically year on year. It's a, it's become a really important market for them. Yeah, and it, it is one of their biggest markets. And also, if they manage to get hold of a Chilean uh, salmon producer, for example, then they would suddenly have access to the U.S. market as well. Yeah, uh, it just it it makes a lot of sense. I guess the kind of the, looking at it is kind of um, my question was, well, why didn't they do this before? And it just shows that aquaculture has not been on these big companies' radar, and now they are, are having uh, FOMO, as the kids say, fear of missing out. Is that, do the kids still say that? I don't know. But anyway, you can see them all scrambling to get in the sector, and it is going to be uh, really interesting. One other thing I wanted to mention about JBS, because I bet most people don't know this, JBS is the largest leather producer in the world as well. So if you're wearing a belt or wearing shoes, look down, there's a pretty good chance that JBS made that. That To me, that was a little bit of information that made me feel like, wow, this is a really big company. Anyway, uh, there is more uh, more uh, M&A activity going on. There was loads this week. 
Um, I'll, I'll sort of set that off to the side because we'll talk about that more this week. John's working on a story for next week on it. But one that's important is uh, NTS. It's a Norwegian aquaculture conglomerate. Uh, it is owned by uh, Helga Gasso. He is a very wealthy individual in Norway. He already owned a portion of Norway royal salmon, and uh, he made a bid for all of it. So the shareholders in the board, uh, which he was the chairman of the board of Norway salmon, so he's kind of recused himself during this process. But the board said, no, 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 that's way too low. And some major shareholders said, no, that's too low. He came back, lifted that bid up 15%, and one analyst told us the odds of him now succeeding with that bid are pretty high. So that's um, another, I wouldn't call it a shareholder fight, but um, it just kind of shows valuations of these uh, major companies. Um, investors know what they have, um, and tying it back to JBS, they won't find other companies as cheap as Huon. That is not going to happen. We have earnings week next week for the second quarter. And we'll get a much better idea of um, just how profitable these companies are. They should have a pretty decent quarter, but let's see how that goes. All right, so um, let's move over to the United States. Um, Rachel, we had two big, interesting uh, movements on either coast of the United States. Um, very different, but tell us about that, uh, maybe starting with, uh, on the West Coast, uh, Cook Aquaculture and their long-running effort to farm uh, salmonids in Washington State. Yeah, Cook Aquaculture, um, they finally got um, another milestone approval from the state of Washington to move forward with uh, farming uh, steelhead trout at a Hope Island site in Washington State. Um, that was one of the sites that uh, previously had uh, served for the company's Atlantic salmon farming. Um, that was had a lease that was set to expire by next year. So they still have a couple more sites they need to get approved by the state, but you know they pretty much have all the approval they need to get going with at least getting one site at Hope Island uh, stocked with uh, the trout. So it's a pretty big move for Cook. Uh, a couple of years ago, they had a pretty massive uh, salmon escape, not at the Hope site, but at another site. But um, it released hundreds of thousands of Atlantic salmon into the Puget Sound. And there were lots of concerns about that interaction with wild salmon. So Cook was really on thin ice for a while in Washington State on whether it was going to be able to keep operating here. Yeah, I am. I am shocked. Um Maybe, maybe impressed is the right word that they continued to push and were able to, to make this happen. I did not expect it. Certainly Washington State, uh, there are very, very few proponents of, uh, of net pen aquaculture, at least publicly. Um, most people, if you ask them about farm salmon, probably have a negative view of it in Washington State, I would guess, or maybe have no opinion at all. I could be wrong, and I can already hear the emails coming in. But I would guess that because this is a, a, a really big wild salmon state. Um, so, I, yeah, I was pretty uh, surprised they turned it around. I don't know if, uh, if you had the same reaction, Rachel. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think they had a lot of adversity and still do um, operating Washington State. Obviously, kind of that uh, event with the net pen escapes is what prompted Washington State lawmakers to pass 
um, a, a law in 2018 that um, phased out all non-native fish farming in the state. So that was really based on Cook's actions. So they don't have the best track record with the state, but um, they are definitely, it sounds like doing everything they can to get this new operation up and going. And yeah, I agree. The persistence has, has been impressive. Yeah, I guess, you know, if you chip away at those regulations and, and aren't deterred by it, you know, um, this is a this is a business friendly country. Um, now, let's go on the other coast, if you would, um, and tell us about one of the land based salmon farming projects that has also had a long, long slog with permitting Nordic Aqua Farm. So what happened and are we any closer to actually getting uh, them started on on building. Yeah, I mean, according to Nordic Aqua Farms, we are much closer. You know, they in um, August, they received the last permit they say is necessary to construct a 33,000 metric ton salmon farm in Belfast, Maine, a rural Maine uh, city up there. And uh, it's from the Army Corps of Engineers. They've been working on this for about three years in the state. And they say they have all their other local permits obtained and, and they are in the final engineering and construction plans. Um, they haven't really announced when they're doing construction, um, but we've gotten that far with them. And most recently, the city of Belfast kind of backed them by approving in um, a use of eminent domain to kind of try to... Uh, bypass these uh, landowners who are claiming they have the intertidal land rights to a outflow pipe uh, Nordic really needs to to get its project going, its salmon farm. Um, but that remains a little unclear where that whole situation stands. It's still in the state courts. And uh, I just actually heard from the state attorney general today that the court kind of needs to decide what's going on with that before that um, intertidal dispute can be resolved. And that's a very uh, intense, dramatic <laughs> kind of a dispute going on between those, um, those landowners that uh, really don't want to give up their kind of uh, beachfront property <laughs> in Maine, it looks like, uh, to Nordic Aqua Farms. But the city um, has you know, really advocated for Nordic, Nordic uh, going forward. Um, and Nordic's also kind of ensuring the city will have more access to public lands in that area and also um, planning to improve the city's water infrastructure, which apparently is kind of old and needs repair. So it could be a nice public park for children to play in with that outflow pipe then coming from the... <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently it's like some property that the city's... It sounds like it's pretty interested in. Um, and it sounds like Nordic is also willing to help the city with some infrastructure improvements that otherwise the city says it would have to pass on to taxpayers. So um, it's an interesting kind of arrangement Nordic and uh, the city of Belfast have. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what these landowners do because they seem to have endless amounts of money <laughs> and have hired a, a very prominent eminent domain lawyer who several years ago actually argued successfully for the um, a Connecticut city to use eminent domain to take over a private residential property. So it's kind of all over the place what's going to happen. Um, we'll see what happens with Nordic, but it sounds like they're not quite out of the woods with that intertidal dispute <laughs> that's ongoing. 
It is unbelievable. I mean, it, yeah. And I, I think it, it shows too for all these land-based salmon farming projects and all the investors that are interested in it that it is it is not uh it is not simple to go from concept to launch and even though you can bring jobs and uh and and uh and other positive benefits to the community there's still a lot of opposition about the size about the potential environmental impact uh, you know um all of these all of these issues animal welfare now is, is an issue um yeah it's um it's been interesting to watch but again the persistence of nordic aqua farms they seem intent on making it happen and they also i think that social license of partnership with the local community um some in the local community and the the, the city and uh, you know actually making improvements it may require that kind of of um you know, weaving in um, and shared interests um, type work when these projects um, identify communities to build in, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting that eminent, just to give a bit of background on eminent domain, I know not everyone's <laughs> kind of familiar with com uh, the complex local lawmaking system, um, which this is used um, in cities, um, usually kind of as like an emergency measure, but um, it refers to the power of the government to take private property and convert it into public use. Um, so usually what will happen is the city will reimburse the person, but they don't always have the consent of the person. <laughs> and it's often um, in the news, of, you know, a building's coming down or something. Um, but this is really interesting because it's just, you know, a big swath of uh, <laughs> land, really. So um, kind of a unique situation. Yeah, it has been uh, it has been something to watch this uh, unfold, and I think we're going to see a lot more of these as these other projects develop. Uh, we're going to see a lot more opposition, a lot more of a challenge in getting them getting them through. Um, so we will be right on top of it. Um, just looping back around um, quickly, John, because uh, when we uh, were discussing um, a feed earlier. Um, also important to note, the Peruvian anchovy uh, fishery just ended. That's the most important supplier of fish meal and oil to the aquaculture sector. Um, it's a very, very uh, unique um, market right now. It's still very disrupted. You, you've written a lot about shipping. Uh, we still have issues in China. Um, are you getting any sense of now that uh, they've finished what has been a successful uh, a successful fishing season with a, um, a, nearly the entire quota caught. Um, what's the market picture going to look like now that that uh, fish has been caught and uh, and the um, the fish meal stores are, are full up? Uh, as you mentioned, Drew, um, China is an important factor um, in this um, in terms of over the recent years uh, with the uh, swine uh, African swine fever outbreak, which has uh, decimated uh, pig herds there. They've been building back their pig herds. So uh, the success of that uh, and um, the aqua sector, the pig sector, will um, determine uh, the demand for marine ingredients in the fourth quarter in China and um, thus determine whether the imported stock, that is from Peru, uh, will be uh, sufficient or not. I mean, um, in, in recent times, I mean, the, the, uh, in the last uh, few seasons, the, uh, the quote has been completed or almost completed. So it has been all coming through from China, uh, from uh, Peru to China, uh, 
Brew being the world's biggest swing uh, producer. So, yeah, I think we'll, it'll start to pan out uh, more in the fourth quarter. And, of course, in the fourth quarter, it'll be the, um, the second season in uh, the key north-central waters, two, two main seasons in Peru. And the, uh, the the one uh, the second season tends to spill over into January uh, before it finishes sort of mid January. I think it even went on longer than that this time. So yes, um, plenty to look out for. Yeah, and and that's just in the past when we've covered uh, the Peruvian anchovy fishery. It's unlike other uh, major fisheries. Um, well, in general, major quota based fisheries uh, over the past several years. It is quite rare for them to be closed down. That's not the case in Peru. So there's always a big question mark hanging over the Peruvian anchovy uh, fishery, correct? Yeah, I mean, there's also this thing about, uh, you know, the, the presence of juveniles. They're very quick to uh, implement mini bans in certain areas of, 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 the, uh, of, the, of the fishing zone uh, when, when they find too many. And I think, it was, was it last year or the year before, in January, that um, you know they they just the, the juveniles were too high and they cut the, the season well short. Um, but this uh, the last season or two, it hasn't been it hasn't been like that. Uh, Rachel, I am going to ask you a bit about Congressman Don Young of Alaska, who last week said the state does not want hatchery fish in its waters. Um, so tell us, you, you got a mail from, uh, from the Congressman Young's office, and he's kind of rethought his position, or clarified it, rather. Yeah, I got a, an email from um, a communications director for Congressman Young after we published our story about him talking about not wanting hatchery operations in the state. And um, they just wanted to clarify that the congressman was condemning fish farming in or near Alaska, but that... that this doesn't include Alaska's hatchery programs, which he supports. And it's interesting because there is a difference between, um, you know, the hatchery production going on in Alaska and a uh, finfish farm operation. But it's just, it's an interesting line to walk. And, you know, hatchery produced salmon um, makes up about a quarter of Alaska's total ha um, salmon harvest. Um, so it's just kind of an interesting murky area in Alaska when it comes to aquaculture, um, just because a lot of Alaskans say they don't want any, um, you know, um, salmon farms in the state. They don't want any offshore salmon farms, but, you know, they also kind of have this hatchery operation that provides them with the really wonderful uh, salmon harvest they get every year, particularly when it comes to pink salmon um, in the Prince William Sound. I should clarify that Bristol Bay is actually a completely wild fishery. So this is just for their pink salmon operations. Yes, thanks for that clarification. I always enjoy, as I'm sure everybody does, a politician twisting uh, him or herself into knots trying to uh, explain something they said that they didn't mean or they regret or that they were told by their communications people was not a good idea. We will be back next week. Uh, just a reminder, we're about a month away from our Salmon Summit on September 9th. We've got a great lineup of speakers, so you can go to intrafishevents.com and sign up there. Uh, and just a reminder, intrafish.com, for those of you that are podcast listeners and not readers, get over there and check it out. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next week.